But George MacDonald's story belongs to this familiar pattern only with a difference. In most such stories, the emancipated person, not content with repudiating the doctrines, comes also to hate the persons of his forebears and even the whole culture and way of life with which they are associated. Thus books like The Way of All Flesh come to be written. And later generations, if they do not swallow the satire wholesale as history, at least excuse the author for a one-sidedness which a man in his circumstances could hardly have been expected to avoid. Of such personal resentment I find no trace in MacDonald. It is not we who have to find extenuating circumstances for his point of view. On the contrary, it is he himself, in the very midst of his intellectual revolt, who forces us, whether we will or no, to see elements of real and perhaps irreplaceable worth in the thing from which he is revolting. All his life he continued to love the rock from which he had been hewn. All that is best in his novels carries us back to that kaliard world of granite and heather, of bleaching greens beside burns that look as if they flowed not with water, but with stout, to the thudding of wooden machinery, the oat cakes, the fresh milk, the pride, the poverty, and the passionate love of hard-won learning. His best characters are those which reveal how much real charity and spiritual wisdom can coexist with the profession of a theology that seems to encourage neither. His own grandmother, a truly terrible old woman, who had burnt his uncle's fiddle as a satanic snare, might well have appeared to him as what is now, inaccurately, called a mere sadist. Yet when something very like her is delineated in Robert Falconer, and again in What's Mine's Mine, we are compelled to look deeper, to see, inside the repellent crust, something that we can wholeheartedly pity, and even with reservations, respect. In this way, MacDonald illustrates not the doubtful maxim that to know all is to forgive all, but the unshakable truth that to forgive is to know. He who loves sees. He was born in 1824 at Huntley in Aberdeenshire, and entered King's College at Aberdeen in 1840. In 1842 he spent some months in the north of Scotland, cataloguing the library of a great house which has never been identified. I mention the fact because it made a lifelong impression on MacDonald. The image of a great house, seen principally from the library and always through the eyes of a stranger or a dependent, even Mr. Vane in Lilith never seems at home in the library which is called his, haunts his books to the end. It is therefore reasonable to suppose that the great house in the north was the scene of some important crisis or development in his life. Perhaps it was here that he first came under the influence of German Romanticism. In 1850 he received what is technically known as a call to become the minister of a dissenting chapel in Arundel. By 1852 he was in trouble with the deacons for heresy.
the charges being that he had expressed belief in a future state of probation for heathens, and that he was tainted with German theology. The deacons took a roundabout method to be rid of him. By lowering his salary, it had been a hundred and fifty pounds a year, and he was now married, in the hope that this would induce him to resign. But they had misjudged their man. MacDonald merely replied that this was bad enough news for him, but that he supposed he must try to live on less. And for some time he continued to do so, often helped by the offerings of his poorest parishioners, who did not share the views of the more prosperous deacons. In 1853, however, the situation became impossible. He resigned and embarked on the career of lecturing, tutoring, occasional preaching, writing, and odd jobs.